0: All right, First Peter, chapter 5, we're continuing with uh, what we've started, coming to the end of this letter, it's been less than a year, <laughs> amazement over there, so um, yeah. It'll be a while before we get to a long book, so rejoice. All right, uh, I'm going to read the whole paragraph since that sets, helps sets the context for uh, what we'll be covering in the sermon. Uh, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Let's stop there. Let's pray. Father, uh, many of us come this morning weary from bearing the troubles of the world, weary from our own troubles. We are heavy laden. Lift these burdens from our shoulders by Your Word. Help us to see who You are more clearly. Help us to see what You have done for us and what You will do for us more clearly. Oh, we need to see Jesus this morning. And we ask that You would show us Him through the Word. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been sort of, uh you know, I, I like to see what's going on and listen to what's going on and on the, the media and stuff like that. And sometimes I'm subjected to it when I'm at the gym, uh, against my will. Um, <clears throat> not that the gym against my will, but, uh, but one of the things that I kind of noticed this week is, um, certain people in the media weren't happy with our president. Now that's Every day. (laughs) But the particular thing they weren't happy about was they were expecting him to fulfill the role of counselor in chief. It was the phrase that I heard a couple of times in various contexts. And there's a part of me that understands this, that uh, we do want our president to show up at places like Houston. We want him to display some measure of compassion, but we sometimes forget that how people do that is different. I think there's so much pressure that's placed upon the the leaders of government precisely because we have turned our backs as a nation in general upon God. And so part of it is, is that we're expecting the president and the governor and whomever, to fulfill a role that ultimately God Himself intends to fulfill. He intends to be the counselor in chief. But we have restless and confused hearts, particularly in the, these times of trial and affliction, and we don't always respond the way that perhaps we ought to respond And this original audience was not always responding the way that God intended them to respond to their trials. And so he speaks to them, and therefore to us, so that we might learn anew how to respond. The big idea this morning is bring your struggles to the mighty God who cares. Sounds easy, doesn't it? And yet... It's one of the things we struggle the most with doing, bringing our struggles to the mighty God who cares. First off, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the chief shepherd. And so we see even in that simple phrase, our responsibility, but the one, the greatness of the one To whom we humble ourselves. Peter is continuing in his discussion about what life in the local congregation is meant to be and he's shifting here from the elders or the leaders to now the rest of the flock, the congregation. We've seen already last week how he holds the elders responsible for how they lead. They are to do it in a certain way. A way that in part evidences humility. And so he now shifts his attention, and with that word likewise that we find, basically meaning in the same way that the elders are subject to Jesus, in the same way they were to be subject to the elders. They were to submit just as the elders submitted to Jesus. Jesus. Now, there are some commentators who think that the use of the word elders here has shifted meaning, that, that Peter is no longer talking about the leaders of the church, but for some reason now is talking to older people, as though younger people have a uh, responsibility to submit to any old person. Uh, sorry, people with gray hair. I don't think that's what this is teaching. I believe uh, the context, particularly with that word likewise... <laughs> Seems to indicate to me, anyway, that he's talking about the elders or the leaders of the church. So he's talking about the congregation uh, being subject to or submitting to the leadership of the church, which is essential in times of trouble. We talked a lot about that last week. This is not a strange thing for Peter to say. We see as well... and. For, for instance, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls. And so he has in mind, the author of Hebrews has in mind church leadership, not political leadership. As those who have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so there's a lot of similar elements in the Hebrews passage to what we see here, what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. Okay? The elders are going to be held accountable and so, when you, if you hear this word of submitting uh, to the leadership of the church, don't think of it as though God is not going to hold them accountable, as though they can lord it over you. We, we dismiss that notion. They're not supposed to do that. They're to humbly serve Jesus by leading you where Jesus would have you go, not necessarily where they would have you to go. And so it's all done within this context of the elders are held accountable for how they shepherd you. But then you are also held accountable for how you are shepherded or how you allow yourself or don't allow yourself to be shepherded. What I want you to recognize is that this submission that Peter is calling for is really ultimately submission to the chief shepherd who has allotted you to their care. It's similar to what we've talked to in terms of marriage. Ultimately, in Ephesians 5, it gets back to the reality of submitting to Christ. Christ. And when a wife submits to her husband, it's ultimately a a reflection of her greater submission to Jesus Christ. And so, your submission to Christ should mean that you're willing to submit to the people that He has placed over you for your good. Unless, of course, they're sinning. Okay? You do not have to submit if they are telling you to sin. This isn't just about church leadership. It's the same principle we see. Children, part of your submission to Jesus is learning how to submit to your parents. You honor Jesus right now by honoring your parents. So, not only that, but we see that this submission is ultimately to the one who submitted to the Father for our salvation. Uh, The great shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd of the sheep, who submitted, who humbled himself even to death upon a cross, that's the one we submit to. He knows what submission feels like. He's experienced this. He invites us to follow this path that He has laid for us. The opposite of submission would be grumbling And complaining. Because ultimately the problem is that we grumble and complain. Not merely against the leaders. But against Jesus. That's why I had Mike read Exodus 16. Did you catch that? They're grumbling against Moses. But God says you're grumbling against me. Because Moses was his mediator. And so when we grumble against those God has placed in authority over us, ultimately we're grumbling against God because he made a bad choice apparently and who he has placed over us. And so we have to be very careful about grumbling because of whom we grumble against ultimately. This doesn't mean you can't... Go and talk to uh, someone in authority over you and say, Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a trouble with this decision. There can be discourse. There can be conversation. What I'm talking about is the grumbling. And we all know what the grumbling is. I can't believe that idiot just did that thing. We all know what grumbling is. The muttering under our breath. The calling of the names. It's not just against the person in authority over you. But it's also... Against God, And so I'll say the same thing, as I said before, children, when you're grumbling against your parents or your teachers, the teachers need some help too. You're grumbling against God. When wives grumble against their husbands, and sometimes we give them just cause for that, but <laughs> when we don't <laughs> God. when we grumble against our bosses. We're ultimately, grumbling against God. And I think part of what this lays out is just our struggle with authority. This is a common problem for people, it is not an uncommon problem for people. Such that Paul had to tell the Philippians, do all things without grub- grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a corrupt and crook- uh, a crooked and twisted generation. So, that's what they do. There's the grumbling and the arguing and the complaining. That's not what we're supposed to do as people who are being remade in the image of Jesus Christ who humbled himself, who didn't argue, who didn't complain, who didn't dispute. And so Peter goes a little further with this. He, he's going to keep drilling down on this a little bit. He says... They were to clothe themselves or gird themselves with humility toward one another. And this is not just the lay people. This would include the elders. They were to clothe themselves with humility just as much as you guys are intended to clothe yourselves with humility. This is one, one of those one another passages. That means it's all inclusive. That means it's everybody. No one has a place to not or to avoid humility. But this idea of clothing yourself indicates the deliberateness. Why are you wearing what you're wearing right now? You looked at the options that were in your closet, either this morning or some of you maybe have laid them out the day before, we don't know. But anyway, you made a choice as to what you were going to wear, a deliberate choice. I'm wearing this and I'm not wearing that. That's the idea. Humility is not automatic. It is something that in the midst of our circumstances, we choose to clothe ourselves with because it's not natural to us. It's deliberate and conscious. Humility is so important because it's humility that promotes the submission that everyone is called to, to Christ and to His people. Because uh, humility is necessary because we don't have all the information. We don't have all the answers. And so as we look at a situation in the church, our humility will result in a lack of grumbling. Grumbling. It's our pride that results in the grumbling. We know better. We know better. When we often don't have all the information we need to evaluate the situation. Even the ones who make the decisions don't have all the information they wish they had in evaluating those situations. So we are reminded that this is not particular to Peter here. We see in Romans 12, For it is by the grace given to me that I say, Everyone among you should not think more highly of himself than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. Not thinking you're better than everyone else in the building. Same thing in Philippians chapter two: Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. And so on the one hand, pride is concerned of self, my self-actualization, my self-interest, my uh, self-reliance. And so pride is all about me at the center of everything. Humility takes me out of the center of everything so that Jesus is once again the center of everything and the other people in the room matter too, not just me. Why are we to do this? Peter reminds them, just as James does in James 2, of the Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34: "For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble." And if you if you flipped back there, you'd notice a slightly different translation taking place. And I'll remind you what I did. Uh, I don't think it was last week. It was the week before. Um, He's quoting here from the Greek translation, which is slightly different than the Hebrew translation, because these people were Greek readers, not Hebrew readers, and that's the copy of the Old Testament they had. And so he quotes from that, so they understand what it is. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we see both the justice and the graciousness of God in this one little sentence. That God is just and that God is gracious. He's just, we see here, because, precisely because He opposes the proud. He opposes the grumblers. He opposes those who think they could do better who sit in judgment upon their brothers and sisters. Those people God opposes. Or another way of, of uh, kind of playing out that phrase there of opposing. This, God goes to war against them. He resists them. Similar to how a parent will resist their unruly child. It's been an interesting week at the gym. It's not just watching the news and seeing what's going on there. But this week, I saw one child lay flat on the sidewalk. And that was their tantrum. They just laid there. And then another child sat on the, right next to the sidewalk. While his dad walked away, and I, and I could read kind of the lips, uh, the words on the lips there. Daddy, get back here! So often we're like petulant little children. When things don't go our way and we try to manipulate God, that is pride. That is ugly. And God opposes it. God resists it. God loves humility. This is the flip side of this coin. And the interesting thing is that God will produce it in you one way or another, the hard way or the easy way. Way back when Jaden was uh, probably one and a half, at that stage in her life, uh, her mom would bring her to BSF in the morning. And uh, because uh, BSF would run a little late because it was in another town, I would come and pick her up partway through and bring her home, give her lunch and all this stuff. And normally it, it all transpired with uh, no nothing happening, uneventful. But there was one day. I don't know what happened that day. But Jaden was fine until it was time to get into the car seat. And all of a sudden, this little bundle of joy became a terrifying monster of strength. I don't, I didn't know that a toddler could be so strong. I couldn't get this child into the car seat. And she's wailing. And I'm trying not to wail. <laughs> could you Thankfully, it was not 95 degrees and 95% humidity. It was only 85 degrees. And so I'm sweating all over the place, wrestling with this child, wondering when the police are going to show up because someone hears the screams coming out of my car. Because one way or another, I had to get that child in that car seat or we weren't going anywhere. Okay. God is so committed to you That one way or another, he's going to make you humble. Because Jesus was humble. And you can fight him. Or you can say, yes, Lord. And begin that process. Jesus, you were humble. Show me what it is to be humble. Make me humble. Help me humble myself in part because I know you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. And I don't want opposition, I want grace. So help me to be humble. Help me. It's not only here in these three phrases, uh, you know, Proverbs 3, James 2, and here in First Peter 5, we see this. But in uh, Isaiah 66, all these things my hand has made. And so God's speaking as the creator of all things. And He says... And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, to him who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word, the one who knows he was made by God, that God is the ruler and the king, and submits to his proper authority as that. And so humility is the place of grace because it relies on Christ, the Creator and Redeemer, and not on oneself. Pride, on the other hand, tries harder. Pride, on the other hand, tries a new way. Pride, on the other hand, relies on self. But humility looks to Jesus for all things that are needed. And as if that wasn't enough reason... Peter then says, humble yourselves, he commands them, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. We tend to think of Jesus as meek, lowly, mild. Because during His earthly ministry, He was. But that doesn't mean He wasn't mighty. And so, the, the chief shepherd is indeed mighty. It's the mighty Jesus that we oppose in our pride. The mighty hand of God. Interesting. Exodus chapter 3. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders in, uh, that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. The proud person is going to be opposed by the same mighty hand, so to speak, that was able to oppress Egypt so much that they finally said to the Egyptians, Get out of here! That mighty hand that pressed down on Egypt lifted up Israel. God is a mighty God, and He was able to do this and so this, this meek Jesus is mighty and he will also exalt in due time. The, the right time, it says there. And so humble yourself not just on your circumstances, but on the timing of the exaltation. The, we don't know how long the Israelites cried out before God answered and delivered them from Egypt. But he did. And so shall he again. Humility does not demand a time frame. Humility doesn't even demand an answer. Job 40. When Job finally sees God, after he's been complaining a bit for a while, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I proceed no further. It was humility that caused Job to finally stop his complaint against God. That caused him to finally stop saying, God, why is this happening to me? Show me where I'm wrong. What's the problem? will raise you up in due time because we see that jesus who humbled himself to death on the cross to deliver us deliver us was raised and exalted by god and so shall we be and this jesus can teach us to be humble so we see that pride resists god and that god resists pride but to those who humble themselves he is gracious indeed Secondly, cast your cares on the chief shepherd who cares. You see, submitting to elders and to one another is one way that we express and grow in humility. But we also express and grow in humility by casting all of our anxieties on him. The don't want to get technical. The grammar indicates that that these things are connected. Okay. We're casting our anxieties on Him precisely because we don't have what it takes to deal with those anxieties. With the feelings we have and the circumstances that produce them. We are not up to the task. And so we cast them upon Him. But let's know this. That suffering, first of all, produces anxieties. Real Christians suffer real anxiety because of real difficult circumstances. Last night I got an email. Amy Steele. Surgery coming up. Things have changed since the last surgery. Aaron's not around. He's now at ASU. He can't move his, he can't drive his sister around and play chauffeur. Ken is no longer working out of the house, so he's not there all day to help take care of Amy. There's things to be anxious about. I'm not saying you're anxious. I'm just saying, I'd understand if you were. He's little. (laughs) Those are are important things. They're not little and insignificant, and and you're not sure how God is going to work all of this out. So real Christians can sometimes suffer from anxiety and anxieties. Let me just say this, though, that's different than the mood disorder, okay? We're we're talking about something different than uh, general anxiety or uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, which... For those people, when they experience anxiety, it's it's something that's general. They're not really sure what they're anxious about, oftentimes. But if they do know, their, their anxiety is far above any real possible consequences. It's not, in other words, it's, it's anxiety out of control. And this is a medical condition. It can result in sin. But that is not what Peter is talking about here. He's really addressing the the specific anxieties that are tied to circumstances, kind of viewing life as though God didn't exist or that God didn't care about you. What worry does is it expends spiritual and mental energy but solves nothing. Some have likened it to a rocking chair, a lot of movement and no progress. I like, I like to think of it as the treadmill. You got sweaty, you got exhausted, and you went nowhere. That's what worry and anxiety do, do to us. They wear us out, but they don't solve a thing. And that's not what God wants for us. Humility says, I can't fix this. I can't handle this. I need help, which is very countercultural. This is America. We live in the bootstrap nation, self-reliance. And there's a degree in which that is uh, appropriate, as we see from, uh, if, you, if you look at uh, Galatians 6, each person should carry his own pack, we recognize that there are burdens that are too great for someone to carry, and we're supposed to come alongside when that happens and, and help them. But sometimes it is a lack of humility that says, I don't care how big this burden is, I'm going to carry it, by golly. And we don't allow people in. We don't allow God in. And I, and I think that sometimes our prayer time it's. it's Pride that limits what we share about our burdens. We're afraid of being looked down upon because we struggle with a particular sin or we're afraid of being looked down upon as though we're somehow weak or something. Yeah, we're all weak. Just get over it. Okay? Pride keeps you from grace, remember? Humility... Asks for help. We are to keep casting those cares upon the Father until such time as He exalts us or addresses them. And so we're intended to keep praying about these things that are occupying our minds. Uh, Not just praying for them once as though that means they vanish into the ether. But why would we do something that seems so pointless and so effectual and, and Peter reminds them because, okay, logical connector, reason four, he cares for you. Your circumstances may make you feel that he doesn't, but in reality, he does. It's important for us to remember that God is a Father who addresses us as His sons in Christ Jesus. He cares about us. Just as any parent, any normal parent, shall we say, cares for their children. Cares about them and takes care of them to the best of their ability. God does this he who has all ability and all wisdom, does this for his sons and daughters. Deuteronomy 8, for instance, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. And the attention there is, as a son. That's the kind of relationship you have with him. Hebrews 12, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as Sons? And so, uh, God's care for us is a function of His fatherhood of th- His people. He cares for us as a parent cares for us, or for their children. And as we discussed a little bit in Sunday school, that means that sometimes parents let their children fail so they can learn. It doesn't mean that because God is your father, all's gonna be lollipops and sunshine. I mean, sometimes there's discipline and hardship and difficulty so that they can learn, they can grow. He brings difficulty into our lives at times to teach us as we were studying in Sunday school. These anxieties that we experience can be the door for us to the place of grace if, in fact, we see our desperate need met recently with someone who was struggling with the, this fact, uh, the hardship that they were experiencing. And I said, welcome to real life where Jesus shows you how much you need Him. It's uncomfortable, it's scary, and it hurts, but finally it's real. You know how much... You desperately need Him. When we're anxious, we are to speak the Gospel to ourselves. We are, in a sense, to convince ourselves that He cares. We are, we are to fight the lies that Satan and self speak. God doesn't care. God doesn't love me. We are to confront those with the truth. Places like this. Cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55. Philippians 4. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. God wants to hear my requests. God wants to hear my needs. Psalm 56. You have kept my count of my tossings. And that night rolling over. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God's scrapbooks. I mean, you know, we we've got scrapbooks, so to speak, of the younger years of our children and the funny things they would do and all of that kind of stuff. God's scrapbook includes your tears, your tossings, your hardship. It's an example of His love and care for us. These things have not slipped His notice, but He has a genuine concern in them even when we don't realize it. Most children have no understanding of how much their parents care for them. Especially teenagers. I'm not looking forward to the teen years. I was there. I didn't understand. But as we think, not just God's scrapbooking, but we think that God, His own Son not sparing will He not also give us all things? He didn't withhold His Son, but He will give us everything necessary for godliness. He cares. Jesus Himself, the chief shepherd, who laid down His life for the sheep, can we accuse Him? of not caring when he gave everything for his people only when we slip into temporary insanity which we do but we need to remind ourselves of these things so we come back from the the grips of anxiety and remember that God cares for me and he's going to act in His due time, in the best way. And so, brothers and sisters, we do have a consoler-in-chief. He isn't the President of the United States. He is the Chief Shepherd of the sheep, Jesus the Messiah. And so when life's troubles flood in on us, we are tempted in our pride. We try to fix it all ourselves. But our struggles are meant to be an avenue into the place of grace where we instead humble ourselves under God's mighty hand until He exalts us. And while there, under that mighty hand, we cast our cares upon Him. Our shepherd wants to hear all that ails you. What do you need to hand over to Jesus today? We're going to come to the table. And that's a great time to do it. To hand over the things that are producing anxiety within your soul. And to be reminded that He, whose body was broken like bread and blood that was spilt like wine, cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel which doesn't just say Jesus saves but also says Jesus cares. Help us, Father, to really believe that. To really believe the implications of our adoption as sons. To really believe what it says there in the Psalms that that you know when we're restless and tossed at night. You know when we weep. You know our troubles. They're recorded in your book. And the only reason you recorded them is because you love us and care for us. So help us to grow in our awareness of that. Precisely so we will grow in our trust. That we will grow in our willingness to cast these cares upon you. That we will grow in our will and willingness to humble ourselves before you. Instead of trying to dictate to you what you must do or must not do. In other words, Father, we ask that you would make us more like Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen.